Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And as we study the letters of the New Testament, we find that with most of them, we can name a theme that is the primary focus of whatever letter we happen to be studying. For instance, the theme of the letter to the Romans is salvation by grace through faith. If we consider the letter to the Galatians, we would not be far off to say that Jesus as the fulfillment of the old law is the theme. Hebrews emphasizes the superiority of the New Testament over the Old Testament, the new law over the old law. When we look at the letter to the Ephesians, while it contains a great deal about blessings available in Christ, I would have to say that the overall theme of that letter is the church. More than any other New Testament book, the letter to the Ephesians reveals the church that Jesus built and purchased with his own blood upon the cross. Chapter by chapter, great truths about the church of our Lord Jesus Christ are revealed, and those truths are what I want to talk about in this episode. First of all, and it is something that we all need to know, the church is the body of Christ. The last two verses of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, reveal this truth. They say, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul also wrote in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might have to have first place in everything. So what is the relationship between Christ and the church? Paul reveals to us that it is his body, the Lord's body. The fact that Jesus is the head of the body emphasizes his authority over it and the submission of all of those who turn to the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, we find, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Just before his ascension into heaven, Jesus told his apostles in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. To Jesus belongs the rule, the power, the authority, the headship. The apostle Paul wrote at length in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians about the church being the body of Christ. Consider verses 13 and 14. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Skipping on down to verse 25, we read that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Down in verse 27, we are told, Now you are Christ's body, and individually members of it. Each member of the one body, the church, sustains a special relationship with every other member of the body. I like the way that Paul put it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. So we, 
who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Another vital point that Paul makes in the Ephesian letter is that we are reconciled to God in the church and nowhere else. Because of personal sin, we become separated from God. The beautiful and pristine relationship each of us has with God before we sin becomes broken. This was true of Adam and Eve. When they sinned, God drove them out of the Garden of Eden. The principle remains the same. It is as Isaiah wrote so many years ago in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. What was true with Adam and Eve has continued to be true, because as Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When that happens, and the time of its occurrence differs with every person, the sinner is thus alienated from God. The fellowship is broken, and the great need becomes reconciliation, or being brought back into God's fellowship and favor. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Here Paul was describing the spiritual condition of the Ephesian Gentiles before they came to Christ. However, it is a truly the spiritual state of anyone who is not a Christian, because true spiritual Israel today is the church. Paul wrote these words, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What a horrible state to be in. But no one has to stay that way. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, we read, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life. So, in spite of our sins, God still loved us and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in order that we might be reconciled to God through the death of his son. That takes us back to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll pick up reading at verse 13 and continue through verse 16. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who hath made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Jesus went to the cross and died there, that we all might have the opportunity to be reconciled to God in the one body. And we've already learned that that body is the church. The cross is the means of our reconciliation. The church is the place of our reconciliation. It is where we have fellowship with God. Now we need to learn this truth. The church was in God's eternal purpose. When man sinned, a plan for his salvation was already in God's eternal purpose, and it very soon began to be revealed. We can go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as God cursed the serpent 
and the indication was given that one was coming. The verse says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Thus it began to be announced. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. God's place for our salvation in Christ, the church, was in place before the foundation of the world. Let's make sure we don't overlook the importance of this. Jesus promised, I will build my church, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, and he did. Paul said that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. In a day and time when so many religious folks see very little value in the church, it is imperative that we see the value that God sees in it. God planned for salvation to be in the church through the blood of Christ before the foundation of the world. A person outside of the church is not saved. Acts 2 verse 47 tells us praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We've already seen in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23 that Christ is also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So when God purposed and planned our salvation, he purposed and planned the church. That cannot and must not be minimized. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Paul wrote, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for aces has been hidden in God, who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what have we learned? God purposed to send Jesus. He purposed our salvation to be in Christ. And he purposed that the church was going to be made up of all of those who are saved in Christ. Now we ask again, how important is the church? The next vitally important truth that Paul teaches us in Ephesians is that Jesus has one church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 exhorts the Ephesians and all who would follow Christ through the ages to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then in verses 4 through 6 we read, There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Nearly all who profess belief in Christ will agree that there is one God and one Lord. But for some reason, most will contend that there are many bodies, many faiths, and at least two baptisms for people today, water and Holy Spirit. But my friends, one means one. That's true whether we're speaking of God or of the body. We've already seen that the scriptures teach that the body is the church. 
Paul wrote that there is one body. I don't think that is too difficult to understand. The problem is folks will say or think that can't mean what it says. Well, why not? The church is the body of Christ and there is one body. That is not easily misunderstood. It makes as much biblical sense to preach the God of your choice as it does to preach the church of your choice. The one Lord Jesus built the one church. He purchased that church with his blood and he is the head of that church. Before his death on the cross, Jesus prayed for all believers in John 17, 20 and 21. He prayed, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. All of these different churches with different beliefs and practices and methods of enticing and entertaining people just doesn't make any sense, and like it or not, makes a mockery of the Lord's Prayer for Unity. The Lord died in order that we all might be reconciled to God in one body by the cross. I didn't make that up. To promote or even to turn a blind eye or approving eye to all of these different churches that we don't find anything about in the scripture is to deny the very purpose for which Jesus died. Please come with me to Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. The King James translation translates it as this. You are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. I use the King James because it said married to another. The New American Standard says joined to another. The point being made is that the Bible teaches that the church is the bride of Christ. This aspect of the relationship is beautifully set forth in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 23 through 32. I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 27 says that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And finally, in verse 32, This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. To be in the church is to be married to Christ, and he has only one bride. There's one last point I want to make. I believe it is correct to say that Paul teaches that the church is the army of God. Looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, we find, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Our battle is never against people, but against the devil and his influence. If we oppose the actions of people, it must be only because we love them as God does and seek to save them. This battle cannot be fought with guns or bombs. It is a spiritual battle. 
and the truth is the means of victory, one person at a time. God's word is the only source of truth for this battle. Again, I didn't make that up. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. The church for which Jesus died deserves our study, our consideration, our devotion, our loyalty, and our lives. It has been God, part of God's plan through eternity. It is unique, God-ordained, and God-sustained. I hope this has been beneficial to you. Thanks for listening.